0: if we take a look at the whole story of Moshe and the people coming out of Egypt and the forty years in the desert the whole thing begins to take on a whole new light. If you read the story just simply it sounds like Moshe was a great guy um, very devoted very sincere and the people were a bunch of nudniks who just wouldn't, you know, couldn't get it straight, didn't appreciate him, so on and so forth. Which isn't much of a story for Torah to be telling us. Now it takes on a whole new meaning. When Moshe came along and performed miracles, the Jews found it interesting. But that that didn't mean they were going to drop everything and run after him. It's a great compliment to the Jewish people, not a criticism. And that's why when the Jews made the golden calf, Moshe argues in favor of the Jews, and he says, don't be angry with them and don't punish them because because they're a stiff-necked people. Now, what kind of defense is that? Moshe was arguing in favor of the Jew by saying they are a stiff-necked people. And that's to their favor. Because other people would have followed and would have obeyed, but for all the wrong reasons, it would have become a personality cult. But when Moshe came along and and brought ten plagues on the Egyptians and split the sea and brought food from heaven and water from a rock, the Jews said... That's nice. So, what else? Good for you. You're a talented man, but what, what does that got to do with me? So, on a deeper level, when the Jews questioned Moshe, it wasn't that they were merely ingrateful. Nudniks. They wanted to make sure that what Moshe was showing them and what Moshe was offering them was not his greatness, but something between them and God. And that's why God says, and I think in the Talmud, uh, that the Jews tested God ten times. I mean, they tested God where did they test God? when they questioned Moshe questioning Moshe was testing God how so? by questioning Moshe they meant to say I know you're a great guy and you can do all sorts of things but has this anything to do with God? so it's not that they doubted God they tested God meaning to say they they probed to find the godliness in Moshe's miracles. Because they weren't impressed with the fact that he could do a miracle. They wanted to know, does this miracle convey some kind of a message between God and us? Or is this just you doing it? And if it's just you doing it, you know, applause, applause. <laughs> you're, very, you're great. But doesn't mean I have to devote my life to you. I want to know what God wants of me. So that's a great compliment to the the Jewish people that uh, we saw the true message, we didn't get distracted by the glitter of, of the personality. If the struggle is between two inclinations, then miracles would not have produced good results. You're tempted to commit adultery. Some guy comes along and splits the sea. You say, oh, in that case, I guess I won't commit adultery. Why not? Because you got distracted? That's not a moral accomplishment. Like, oh, splitting seas is even more interesting than adultery. I think I'll stay in... I think I'll stay and watch this instead. That's, that's not a moral achievement. But because the struggle is not between doing the sin and not doing the sin, the struggle is between between being confused or fooled by what appears to be true versus seeing the truth as it is here miracles are very useful because a miracle means breaking the habit of nature and when you break the habit of nature then you see beyond nature then you're in touch with reality and that's what happens when a person sees a miracle it's not that he's overwhelmed by by the fact that a miracle can happen? It says that uh, Amalek is the worst of all the uh, unholy peoples because um, because when the Jews came out of Egypt all the nations were terrified of the Jews until Amolik came along and attacked them. And although he got beaten, but it broke the spell. The Jews were not invulnerable. You can attack them. You'll get beaten, but, but, but it's not out of the question anymore. right? So the, so the Torah says that uh, Amolik's evil, Amolik's sin, was that he cooled the, the feelings that existed at that time. Of the other nations, the awe that the other nations had for the Jews, Amalek cooled it off. Hasidus says that Amalek did worse than that. Amalek cooled the enthusiasm of the Jew. That was his attack on Judaism. Amalek came along and said to the Jews who were very inspired by the splitting of the sea, Amalek came along and said, what are you so excited about? What are you so excited about? God split a sea? <laughs> this is to you exciting? God created the sea out of nothing. So what's the big deal if he splits it? It's no big no big deal for God to split a sea. What are you getting so excited about? And that cooled the enthusiasm that the Jews had for uh, for godliness as a result of the splitting of the sea and that's why amolik is so evil because he takes all the enthusiasm out of so when we were learning this our teacher said after we learned it we were all in, yeah 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 amolik is terrible so our teacher said wait a minute isn't he right what's wrong with that argument he's got a good he's got a good argument why should we get excited about the fact that God split the sea? What's the big deal? A person gets excited. He went into the hospital and the doctors told him that he had no chance whatsoever for recovery. And a miracle happened and he's and he's healthy. And because of that, he the person decided that from now on they're going to be observant and they're going to keep Shabbos. What are you getting so excited about? Because the doctor said I was going to die. And uh, I didn't die, so God saved me. I mean, God saved you. God created you in the first place. And it was God who made you sick (laughs) in the first place. And then God decided that, well, okay, so you won't die. So so what's the big deal? What are you excited about? That God healed you even though you were seriously sick. He made you seriously sick. In fact, he made you in the first place. And what's the big deal for God to cure somebody? Amolek was devious. He knew that the excitement was not over the fact that God could perform a miracle. He knew that wasn't what would do. And yet he, he, he interjected that as a distraction. As if saying, you are excited over the fact that God could perform a miracle. Don't be. And he's right. Don't be. But that's not what the excitement was. The excitement of a miracle is not that God could do great things. A miracle means that nature, with all of its impressive, convincing power, has been lifted and you got a glimpse of something beyond nature. That's why you're inspired. Not because you're impressed with how God can do great things. But that generally, we function under the yoke of nature. When a doctor says, this is an incurable disease, then you die. Because because you believe it because it's an incurable disease when a miracle happens and you don't die from an incurable disease then you realize not that God is powerful but that God is real that's the inspiration it's not nature that runs the world God runs the world
1: is it a big deal
0: for him to run the world? no But that's not the point. The question isn't whether it takes a lot of effort on God's part to run the world. The point is that when I experience the fact that he runs the world, that is inspiring. Because then then I'm in touch with him. Then my godly soul is released. And then I start thinking like a godly soul and I start feeling like a godly soul, because I am a godly soul, except that nature oppresses that with its, with its repetition. Every morning the sun comes up. That's terrible. Because that, that, that pounds away at, at the godly instinct. I says, what do you mean God created the world? The sun just keeps coming up. The doctor who says this is an incurable disease. How does he know it's incurable? Because a hundred people who have come down with this disease, every one of them died. So a so hundred times pounds away at you. First guy died, the second guy died, the third guy died. This this repetition is very oppressive. It's like propaganda. If you hear it often enough, it becomes your reality. And nature is the worst kind of propaganda. So when people say, of course the sun will come up tomorrow. There's no logic to that whatsoever. Then why do they believe it? Propaganda. There is no reason for the sun to come up tomorrow. None no scientific reason, no natural reason, none whatsoever other than the fact that it came up yesterday. That's called propaganda. You believe something to be true simply because you've heard it so many times because it's been repeated so often. We take nature to be true simply because it's repetitious. So when we see a miracle we break out of that yoke, we break out of that force of habit and then our godly soul takes over. So see, there is another reality. But if we didn't have a godly soul and some guy came along and performed a miracle, we wouldn't be inspired, we would simply be overwhelmed and impressed by the guy that's the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet a true prophet puts you in touch with God a false prophet impresses you you go visit a holy man and you come away and you say, is he holy? Hey, did I see a holy man? Can't believe it. He's so holy. It's a false prophet. If you go to see a holy man and you come back and you say, You know, I think from now on, I can't eat non-kosher food anymore. That's a holy man. But if you come away and you say, You should have seen how he does this, he does that, and he he knows everything and he can see everything and... But you're not going to keep Shabbos. You're not going to keep kosher. Wasn't a holy man. You know, was Hillel a prophet? Was Rabbi Akiva a prophet? They were. They did have ruach hakadosh. They were guided by their instincts. Were holy. Some say that that's greater than prophecy. Because a prophet means that when God comes and talks to you, then you hear, then you're in touch with what God wants. But otherwise, you're not. Whereas the person who has this uh, divine instinct is always in touch with God. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly true. That's why I say that the, 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 the test or well, the uh, the proof is if you keep Shabbos or kosher. But if you give Tzedakah, it doesn't prove anything. Hmm? Because keeping Shabbos and kosher is a commitment. Because you don't keep Shabbos as a result of being in a good mood. <laughs> You'll give Tzedakah because you're in a good mood. In other words, an expansive mood or a peaceful mood or serene mood will make you more generous, more tolerant, more patient, more giving. It will make you keep Shabbos, because <laughs> what's that got to do with anything? Unless you're in touch with what God wants, because that's all Shabbos is. It's you know, it's not goodness of your heart. No matter how good your heart feels, you'd never think of keeping Shabbos.